0: Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons.
2: Hello, hello, hello. Happy, uh... Well, I guess we're actually technically, like, two days away from the start of the college football season.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, Cal Hawaii is gonna be lit. North Dakota State and Charleston Southern or whatever. You're not gonna be able to cover North Dakota State doing anything because of their draconian media relations department. But, yeah, those games will happen.
2: Yeah, Chow Hawaii kicking off, what, like 10 Eastern on Friday night? It's going to be wild. Just how we drew up the start of the college football season, obviously.
1: It's fine with me. It's 7 p.m. here.
2: <laughs> It'll be 7 p.m. for me, too. I'll be out uh, in your ah, time zone. That's for that, right. So. Forgot about that.
1: So, yeah, enjoy that. Um, all right. As we've uh, alluded to for weeks now, this is the Syracuse football preview episode. Full season, full roster. Only Syracuse might make a Tulane joke. Who really knows? But for the most part, we're going to keep it to Syracuse, um, as we rarely do around here.
2: Yeah, this is this is the one that you uh you should be tuning into. If you usually, you know, download our podcast, obviously you should download it. Uh, and then <laughs> stick to the tip, stick to the the patented Tulane jokes, and us on USC and everything else we do every week. Uh, so this is the one for, for the actual Syracuse fans here.
0: Yeah,
1: we, we get two of these per year. Um, we get the, the football and basketball season preview episodes. And a lot of you listen to those, which I guess should be a hint to us, but we don't take it. And that's why we'll continue <laughs> to talk about off-topic things.
2: Oh, good times. Yeah.
1: Anyway, he's jumping right into the roster. Obviously, we don't have to preview the coaching staff. Um, for those who want to get like a full rundown of everybody have a uh, pretty good article, at least if I don't say so myself, from, at this point, like May. Um, Coaching staff preview, running down the entire staff for Dino Babers, kind of his history, everybody else's history. Most of these guys have been together for a while, which means they can hit the ground running, which is great because it's going to be a huge transition for this program, um, as we've been discussing all summer. Um, Dan, quarterbacks, there really isn't a mystery. I think Eric Dungey's the starter but maybe we talk about at least who's behind him because I definitely think there's a lot more of a storyline to those guys.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, first off, congratulations to the uh, newest scholarship player on the Syracuse football team, Zach Mahoney. Yeah, way to go, who Zach. Who obviously acquitted himself quite well for a fourth-string walk-on last year, especially, and, and for, just quizzically uh, stepped up and had his best games against LSU and Clemson, you know, as one does. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, Zach did some really nice things last year. I think, you know, if you're not give a stallship to a walk on, it's hard to, you know, make a much better case for anyone else than Zach Mahoney. And obviously, just based on, like, social media and stuff, the team obviously absolutely adores him. Um, I don't know. I, had to, I forget if we've named captains this year, but it seems like Mahoney's, like, probably going to be one, even if he never starts another day for Syracuse. That just seems like that kind of guy, which is, uh, you know, someone that's easy to root for. Um, and and obviously, he's a very different player than there at Dungy, but. Uh, if we have to thrust him back into things, I mean, you at least know you're going to do something with, like, some guile and, and a little bit of, like, you know, I, I, I don't like to, like, go for, like, the total immeasurables, but he, he is kind of like a, you know, a big moment player at least. Um, so hopefully we can ride Eric Dungy because he is, like, the super talented uh, guy who looks like could be the quarterback of the future in the present. Um, but if not, I, I think we're at least fairly uh, content with what we have behind him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that you know that injuries can't happen, but I do feel that as far as injuries go, um, I think we paid our dues. I just I don't want to see this again. Please no, I can't I can't I can't do this for for the how many it's straight season. It just it, no, please no.
2: Yeah, I mean, hopefully with hopefully just the Babers' offense being. Uh, such a different animal and being a more, you know, there's more timing involved, you're going to have more quick passes. Um, hopefully that just like the actual nature of the offense will help reduce injuries to the quarterback. Um, I am interested to see I mean, we've, we've kind of gotten good reports on, on Mahoney playing and that's interesting because Babers throws the ball so much and obviously Mahoney was more of an option guy last year. Um, running the ball was definitely his forte, so uh, I, I don't necessarily want to see uh, what Mahoney would do in this offense I think Dungy kind of tailor-made for it it just works out really well that he's a quarterback that they're inheriting obviously they didn't recruit him um, but it, it is an interesting question you know how the rest of this uh, quarterback group fills in considering none of them are guys that Babers wound up bringing to the program himself
1: yeah and, and to be honest you know Babers has never really built a program on his own either and that's worked out pretty well um, it's true. Yeah, he's walked into situations, coached two years at Eastern Illinois, and coached up guys that he didn't recruit uh, to a very good record in the second year. I think it was something like eleven and two or so. And then over at uh, Bowling Green, same deal, won the MAC, um, mostly on players that he didn't recruit. Um, here, he walks into I think a lot of people that aren't close to the program are discounting just, just how many skill players that we have back. Um, and that's obviously going to let this team be able to hit the ground running quicker and be able to adopt this offense. I mean, and the fact that a lot of these guys are young too means that they're you know, they not two or three years into the same offense at this point. They're guys that can easily kind of adapt to, to a new system. And I think Dungy, between that, uh, the fact that he showed himself to be pretty smart last year. I mean, he was calling his own plays for a little while um, while Lester's offense was kind of going off the rails. Because
0: <laughs> if not him,
2: then who? Yeah. <laughs> Certainly not Tim Lester. Um, I, I think, and it just popped in my head, but uh, and I'm going to give our now pretty much weekly, um, when discussing Baylor's offense, we only mean Baylor's offense and not off-the-field stuff having to do with Baylor in recent years. Um, Baylor under Bryles has had like this, I mean, not under Bryles any longer, but when it was under Bryles, had a really, really uh, interesting array of quarterbacks. None of them were really all that similar to one another. Um, like, RG3 is obviously a much different quarterback than Nick Florence, is a much different quarterback than Bryce Petty, and then they brought in, uh, and he's no longer there, he's transferring out, um, the, uh, five-star kid who, it looks like he's going out Auburn, whose name is escaping me now. Oh, yeah, that's um, a... oh, uh, it's gonna drive me crazy. Yeah, Jared Stidham. Um, so they're all, those are all, like, really different players with different skill sets and varying degrees of, like, dual threatness, um, like, Petty, all of them are pretty athletic, but... Uh, Petty kind of sat in the pocket more where uh, obviously Griffin ran all over the place and obviously Bryles and Babers aren't the same person um, and Bryles is, you know, hard to find a much more of an offensive mastermind than that. But uh, the offense is based on the same things and Bryles was able to make it work with uh, a very a wide array of quarterbacks and, and Babers is kind of the same thing. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo and uh, Matt Johnson are not all that similar to what, uh, he had at Baylor under Bryles, and they're not that similar to Eric Dungey, so um I do think this is a, a scheme that um there are different wrinkles based on the abilities of the quarterbacks, but it can work with a pocket passer, it can work with a scrambler, it can work with a lot of different still sets, which is nice because that kind of opens up the uh that broadens the horizons of what you can recruit and uh it you know, you're less limited to, you know, we have to find this one exact player.
1: Oh, very much so. And I think, you know, like you said, it's the variance is great. The fact that Dungy has even allowed himself to vary already, I think we're going to see, like you said, it's a quick release. We're going to see less running because he's going to be less designed quarterback runs, which I think everyone can agree is a good thing. Despite Dungy's um, ability to take off, I think having it having it to be having it less prevalent keeps him safer, but it also could make it more effective. Um, the fact that he's put on a good 15 pounds of muscle or so, and um, the off season is great. Because I think, and as Steve Ishmael seemed to be very anxious to point out, <laughs> he, uh, he can take more hits, and that sounds nice, but I'd rather he didn't. Um, but, you know, even with the quick release, we'll have to see, and we'll get to the offensive line in a little bit. But with a renewed offensive line, there's certainly going to be some growing pains. Um, where I think this office is going to, you know, kind of develop more um, over time is, you know, as long as we'll see if Dungy is the quarterback over the course of the next three full seasons. Um, or whether someone like a Rex Culpepper or a Tommy DeVito, one of those guys who are much more drop back and, and a lot less, uh, you know, run centric, whether guys like that are able to play their way up the depth chart. And you know, receivers wise, um, you know, you and I have talked about it a little bit. Um, it seems that the mold is going to turn less away from, you know, maybe guys with the body type of a of Steve Ishmael or an uh, Eric Phillips or a Grizzly Esteem, but more towards someone like uh, Maryland transfer uh, Amba Etatao, who I'm sure will butcher his name a million times throughout this year. I'm really trying. Um, But you look at someone even on staff uh, who played receiver for Babers, like Lanier Sampson, um, I think that guy, maybe a little bit bigger receiver, um, is probably what we're going to be veering toward eventually, even if it takes a couple years. And and based on the recruiting you're seeing, it looks like Babers is already – has, has that vision kind of in mind and, and taking hold for 2017.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I expect to see a lot of four wide sets and it, it does seem based on the recruiting. And that's kind of like the best way you can really uh, envision what this office is supposed to be in an ideal world. Cause you kind of see the players that Babers is choosing rather than the players that are, you know, given to him. Um, not that he can't succeed with the players, because I do think, like you said earlier, we have a, a pretty interesting array of still position guys, especially for a team that struggled in recent years. Um, but with the receivers, it, it really is like two very distinct positions: the uh, between the flankers and the slot guys. Um, I think Ishmael, you know, he's maybe not sits five, but he goes up and gets the ball, and and he has all those classic uh, outside receiver stills. Uh, versus a guy like Grizzly, um, who I'm sure will be on the inside with his you know his speed and his ability to uh, make plays after the catch. Er um, Phillips, obviously the wild card. We both liked him a lot more as a running back, but clearly. Uh, they value his still set, and I'm sure he's more of a slot guy. And then, um, obviously, uh, I, oh god, I, his name's going to kill me. Etta Tao uh, has been uh, really; he's come on really strong based on all the reports from from uh, from this summer camp, uh, and that just seems to be a really nice addition. Um, and and a really strong receiving core, assuming a guy like uh, Phillips adjusts, and obviously Ishmael takes the next step. Um, and then there are, you know, a ton of guys down the roster, Adley know who we've been, you know, we bring up all the time, Jamal Custis, another big target. Um, even a guy like, uh, Devin Butler, who apparently is making a big impression as a true freshman. So, um, I'm excited to see this group. I, I think there's a lot of talent here uh, and a lot of different players, uh, different, different skill sets, which actually plays well into what Babers wants. Um, and we're going to see a lot of receivers on the field. It just, based on the recruiting, they're taking receivers like crazy. It's going to be a huge chunk of this first full class, uh, which means you're going to see guys cycling in and out for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, we I know it's been a, a theme for us all off season, kind of talking about, you know, this, this bit of multiplicity and, and the fact we're going to be cycling guys out, and also the fact that, you know, we don't really know what this uh, receiving core looks like past the top three. I think we can, at this point, nail down maybe a top four with Etta kind of taking that fourth spot and the second outside receiver spot. Um I'd like to see Alvin Cornelius on the field, but I know that that his injury issues um, have prevented some of that in the past, and I know that in camp it's limited him now too. I'd like to see Butler out there. I think he seems like an inside receiver type and one who can succeed, and the fact that Ishmael was really high on him is great. Um, Where I was really excited, and I know I wrote it up in the uh, practice report um, from Saturday uh, this past week, was the fact that the team was using – Jamal Custis in, in the fashion that you and I have been pining for for now two years in an off offseason um, of just throwing a jump ball up at the goal line and letting him go get it. Um, it I don't think that's going to be the only way he's used, but it's, it's always puzzled me why um, him as a player, I would assume he's, I mean, I don't really remember any tape from him whether he's a great blocker, but I feel like that type of body... Um, he'd probably be a great blocker and someone you could easily use as a decoy in the red zone too on top of the obvious receiving skills.
2: Right. And speaking of the red zone, uh, there was that stat that uh, I believe uh, David Hale posted the other day that Babers was among the most aggressive coaches in terms of going for it when he was uh, inside the 25 on the fourth down. And I think they were 8 of 11 in converting. Um, Thank God. (laughs) Like, that just makes me so happy. Because that's one of the most frustrating things. And it's not just a Stott Schaefer problem or a Dud Morone problem. They were both hideous about it. But it's like a general football problem, honestly. And having a coach who understands like basic mathematics and basic statistics and probabilities and is willing to go for more points and converting and not relying on college tickers oh, makes me so happy. And I'm so excited to see it happen the first time. And I hope we go for it every single time. And I don't even care if we never convert. I, I hope we go for it. Literally every time we're in the situation where it makes sense. If so, I ever have to see uh, a
1: 4th-and-1 punt inside the 50 again, I'll, I'll be uh, very, very happy. I,
2: it, oh, yes. <laughs> thank, thank God for that. Or um, a 3rd-and-13 punt. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> Why have you done this to us, football gods? Why did you do this to Syracuse? A I think bad. the 3rd-and-13 punt may, bothers me less than the 4th-and-1 punt, honestly. <laughs> like, the 4th-and-1 punt is so awful. And we saw it so many times over the last two years.
1: In games that we lost by a single score.
2: Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah. So I think that time might be past us. I I don't know why Babers would uh, revert to, like, dumb meathead football, and I don't expect him to. So I'm going to assume that part of our history is dead for now. Um, And, yeah, I'm just very happy.
1: Yeah, I'll bury it. Um, All right seems like we already talked about quarterbacks. We touched on wide receivers a little bit. Uh, shifting focus a bit to running backs, um, there's questions here, obviously. Um, there's actually more players than... Sorry, James, interrupting. <laughs>
2: there's,
1: uh, there's more players than we probably expected going into the season. But the problem is we have an injury to George Morris that I think keeps him out for at least the first few weeks. Uh, That's not great when he's the most experienced runner, even if not the best one. Um, And then we have a lot of walk-ons. Otto Zaccardo and Winston Lee, um, both are there. I think Lee might get more burn than Zaccardo only because former track star, um, a guy who fits the mold for an athlete for Babers, um, still I think both of them get much more burn um, on kick returns probably, while hopefully we don't have to really dive any deeper um, on the depth chart than Dante Strickland, Jordan Fredericks, and Mo Neal, who have all had their moments um, in camp, in spring ball, um, and obviously in the case of Strickland and Fredericks, we've seen what they can do on, in the game, and we're, uh, I think we're both pretty excited about uh, the prospect of both of them you know, kind of splitting carries in maybe a 12-12 and 12 or 15-15 and 15 situation, depending on how much Baron Neal gets.
2: Yeah, it, I think if everyone stays healthy, this could be a really nice group. I think they all complement each other very well. Um, just reading the tea leaves on how camp is going, it seems like Strickland kind of has a a grip on that like RB one um, spot. Just you know, based on the fact that he got, I wouldn't say limited carries last year, but I think he could have been used more. And Babers is already like fine, giving him like a, a afternoon off to rest up and. It just seems like he was being treated like a like an established veteran when he's really not that based on his experience. But um, I think that tells you that it's a player that the coaching staff values and wants to keep healthy at all costs, and 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 also believes that you know he knows the playbook and and understands the offense well enough to uh, allow him to take a little bit of a you know a little bit of a respite in the middle of camp. Um, I think Jordan Frederick. I really liked what I saw from him last year. Obviously, there were you know he's uh, issues with you know some, you know, make sure he stays in the weight range that the staff wants him, but really powerful runner, uh, nice compliment to Strickland, who is more of a balanced guy. He's, you know, a speed guy, even though he does have some, some decent size too. And then Neil, uh, just seems like a, you know, a lightning bug type, um, you know, really fast dynamite electric, uh, four, four speed. Um, and he's, and he's smaller. He's five, nine, uh, his size I feel like it could be an issue as a true freshman uh, just because, you know, he's pretty slight, but um, if anyone's watched his film from high school where he was absolutely dominant in North Carolina, he's, like, totally electric. So those those three guys are all quite different runners, and I, I look forward to seeing all of them, and I expect to see all of them this year. Uh, and hopefully Mo can get a lot of carries against Colgate because that would mean that we uh, beat up on those guys.
1: Yeah, and you know what? I mean, if Neil was going to put up some great numbers against anybody, I would think it would be Colgate. It's not to doubt his long-term abilities, but— out that, you know, he's, he's only, I mean, he's been on campus since January, but you only spend that much time in a college weight room. The more time you spend in a college weight room, the more muscle you're going to be able to build up, the more good weight you're going to be able to gain. Um, you know, Neil's kind of sitting around at 169 right now, according to the official roster. Uh, that's not really where you want um, any college running back. Uh, the, the one plus for him, I guess, is the way the, the run game is designed, where it's mostly dives. You're not really going to see a lot of stuff around the edge, which I think was, was what, um, how players were woefully misused in, in the previous offenses under Schaefer, um, how they were injured in the previous offenses under Schaefer. I think you're going to see a lot of dives, and that helps because, um, you know, the offensive line, especially, um, you know, on the interior, I feel, uh, much more experienced, much stronger. Uh, Jason Emmerich in particular um, over at the center position. So running behind him, you know, somebody like Neil who can quickly find a gap and exploit it, um, could really help him out. Uh, we'll see how he comes along. I do think that he gets carries. I think that he'll probably get some throws out of the backfield. But yeah, I, I think we see Strickland and Fredericks. I'm also curious to see again, like you said, can Fredericks keep off the weight and also how the weight loss for him um, affects his ability to run between the tackles. Um, it did seem like last year he, you know, the, the fat back moniker. He wasn't really a power back necessarily, but he was a guy you could. you can count on a little bit in short yard situations Uh, because joel shaw wasn't able to show up on campus we don't really have one of those this year Uh, so i'm very curious to see if um, you know this staff decides to continue to use uh, fredericks in that capacity or if maybe we start seeing some special um, tankish packages that come in with uh, with some of the linebackers or maybe some of the uh, defensive linemen
2: yeah, I mean, I, I don't know enough about Bowling Green last year to know if they had some special special packages, but I know they had a, you know, a kind ton of a two headed monster running back and and also you know a number of other guys who did get carries. So uh, I don't think we have as much depth in the backfield, but um, it would be it'll be interesting to see what how the uh, how they carve out their their uh, their roles here, um, and Frederick's especially because I do think he has you know obvious talent. He was really effective last year when he when he got his carry, especially earlier in the year. Um, and I'm also interested to see what Moneal's, uh role is in terms of, you know, what packages they use him in. Like you said, there isn't as much, like, stretch running. Um, a lot of that role of the offense is uh, taken up by, uh, by screens. And for those fans who are now cringing based on the screens that we saw in the George McDonald and, uh, and previous offensive coordinators, um, these actually are blocked for and well-designed and have been proven to work through multiple teams. Um, I almost wonder if, if we might see Moniel stretch out, like uh, if they want to go you know, obviously the team's don't want to move fast maybe in certain packages, Neal uh, goes into the slot and, you know, acts as a receiver uh, I have no idea if that is the case or not, but it does seem like he has the most diverse still set and, and could be a die that could uh, be utilized as a as a matchup problem on the outside occasionally
1: I would agree, um, kind of last on the offensive side the um, linemen. I think everyone's a little concerned about uh, the fact that we're replacing three starters from last year, but at the same time, and I think you know, this is something that you and I talk about occasionally, uh, the fact that we've had so many injuries over the last couple of years after a lot of stability before that has allowed a lot of guys to get experience, even if not starts. Um, I think it's pretty fair bet you're going to see Jason Emmerich at center, Omari Palmer at the right guard position. Uh, but then elsewhere, uh, there's definitely going to be some dice rolls. Um, I think McGloster and Lasker have obviously seen the field. Uh, Aaron Roberts seems like your clubhouse leader for the left guard position. Um, In general, this does seem like our deepest group. It's too deep, Um, I I would argue, at every single position. Maybe center gets a little dicey. Um, But, yeah, beyond that, I really like the offensive line. I think that, you know, Bill Connolly pointed this out in his own preview, this is as good a year as any uh, to hit reset on the offensive line Uh, given all the newness um, of the system and and all that's required um, in terms of, you know, stamina and weight loss and all that, that uh, a lot of these offensive linemen have really taken to heart and and, and embraced, which is great to see.
2: Yeah, and it is interesting because uh, there are, I mean, the the previous staff was bringing in so much uh, along this line. So you have a lot of freshmen and a lot of sophomores who, um, even if they're not starting, uh, should have you know some role in this offense. Um, I do think, like you said before, the inside is going to be the strength of Emmerich and, and Palmer, who uh, you know has had kind of an up and down career, but is definitely the most. They're the, definitely the two most entrenched starters on this line. Um, the tackles are, are a little bit of a concern for me. Um, Michael Laster has been uh, useful. I wouldn't say super consistent in his time in there, but he's definitely the most experienced guy they have at that position. Um, I know you. You have uh, Jamal or uh, Madloster probably penciling in at the right tackle spot. Um, I almost want to. I, I wonder if Tony Conway can maybe push for some playing time. Um, but, but I also agree with the, the fact that the new offense kind of coming in when you have so many young guys, it could set this offensive line to be up to be really good in like a year or two.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think the other thing that I did bring up in the offensive line previews that was probably about a month or so ago was. Um, obviously the weight loss has been a big narrative and Babers was pretty clear that these guys need to be able to move better. Um, Do you think that the two classes 2015, you know, it was a class five guys who were definitely, um, you know, really bankable. Everyone was pretty excited about their arrival. Do you think that those five um, are able to find their way this year and next year? Do you think that, um, you know, the demands, I mean, all all of them were recruited to play kind of Midwest-style football and all of them are now being shifted to Texas-ish style football um, and, and much more speed and, and, and stamina versus what they had to do, which is kind of just grind it out in the trenches. Uh, do you think that hurts these guys? Do you think that all these guys have shown so far that they can easily adapt, given how early they are in their careers?
2: Um, I don't worry about it too much, especially if they're not thrust into, like, playing time before they're ready. Um, and some of these guys aren't even, like, you know, giant, giant. Like, uh, uh, Durig is, like, he's a obviously super strong and that was what he was built as but he wasn't like a you know 330 pounder um i know a couple of the other ones the other guys are uh, evan adams is a pretty big dude um so yeah i mean it's it's definitely a concern if they're thrust into early playing time but if if they're allowed to uh kind of ride the pine a little bit and, and take a full year to adjust their bodies and and learn what the conditioning needs are um then i'm not too worried about it down the stretch uh in a year, I mean, it shouldn't take more than, like, a, a year or year and a half uh, to really get those guys in the shape that they need to be in, especially with, you know, the full training staff and everything else. So um, if we're relying on those freshmen this year, then maybe it is. it could definitely be an issue. But I think you'll, you'd will you have an issue if you're playing a lot of freshmen offensive linemen no matter what. Like, that's just not a thing that you generally want to do in college football.
1: I would concur. Uh, so... We obviously have more to do in terms of defense and go through the schedule a little bit, but why don't we do a little halftime here, and then we can kind of run through the
2: rest of it from
1: there. So, Dan, what have you been drinking?
2: Uh, nothing super new. Uh, a lot of kind of the the regular hits here, uh, a lot of single cut, uh, some two roads. Um, I had uh, some Empire, actually, this weekend. I was down in Jersey, but uh friend picked up some Empire on the way, which is definitely popping up down here more and more, uh, so that was nice. Um, but nothing super new, uh, unfortunately. Hopefully, uh, when I get out west this weekend, I'll be able to check out some of the newer things. I know you sent me along some, uh, some recommended places, which was much appreciated. Of course.
1: Yeah, no, you'll definitely have plenty new to check out. We don't have, we have some of the things in the East Coast, but I would say we're largely lacking on a lot of the things you normally drink. Except for Battles Point, we have plenty of that. But.
2: Yeah, <laughs> well, I can find that anywhere. So, uh, and not that, I, not that I would turn down a ballast <laughs> point if someone wants to uh, wants to get me one this weekend. If someone's in Las Vegas wants to buy me a grapefruit stulp, and I will, I will gladly accept it.
1: There you go, standing offer. Um, all right, on my end, I uh, stopped over at Monkish last week to grab a growler of uh, their latest kind of weekly IPA that they've been putting out. It's called Dank Daily. Uh, it's an East Coast style IPA. Um, had a nice hop bill, uh, you know, was Citra, Simcoe, uh, what the hell else is in there? I don't have the hop bill in front of me, but it was great. I enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah, had a growler of that. Um, went down to Beachwood in Long Beach, had their Futures Today IPA as well as their uh, Hoppe Emeritus um, Black IPA. Also, finally got to stop over at um, the Beachwood Blendery. It's their, uh, their kind of souring program uh, right across the street. Uh, really awesome setup over there. I uh, wish I could have spent more time. My wife doesn't like sour beers, so it's kind of hard to spend too much time there whenever I am there. Um, but yeah, grab their uh, Fortune Favors the Funk. It's a uh, lambic, uh, dry hop lambic, actually, and very, very good. Also grabbed a, uh, a glass while I was over there. Right there, James? He's fine. Um, and then. I also grabbed a, uh, Bells the Oracle, double IPA, uh, got out here, hadn't had it yet, and uh, heard a lot of good things, So figured I'd, I'd give it a shot, ended up going pretty well, and, and yeah, that was my, uh, that was my length of drinking, not crazy, but respectable.
2: Very nice, yeah, yeah. not, hopefully, uh, round the summer here, and then we get into the fall, and, uh. I mean, the pumpkin beers have all been out for like two weeks now, but <laughs>
1: <Pass>. <laughs>
2: I haven't actually—I ha- haven't actually had a pumpkin beer yet. So we'll get there to... in September. I'm I'm willing to crack that. Yeah, I can. Uh, I crack can do September
1: that. once the temperature. Once I go outside, and, like I don't feel like brutally warm, then I can start like embracing that. But not until. But anyway, um, defense. Now, uh, one of the things we talked about again all summer, and everyone's talked about when they mentioned Syracuse football, is uh, we could be in trouble on the defensive line. Um, That said, I do like what I see from the guys that are there. I just think that depth-wise, it's going to be kind of scary, especially when we get towards the end of the schedule, which is pretty much a gauntlet. Um, I'm not really looking forward to um, what could be a very uh, very short list of guys you can go for us
2: yeah two years in a row this has like been the problem area in terms of depth um and and with that being said it's kind of a miracle we were able to redshirt jake picard last year yeah. um he was one of the biggest recruits we brought in uh beating out uh wisconsin and michigan um he should be a really nice player obviously there's always going to be an adjustment even with a redshirt year uh to him playing but um Definitely profiles as, you know, a top-line starter and hopefully a four-year starter. Um, same with Kenneth Ruff. He was one of the best recruits, obviously, today. He was seen catching passes, so I literally have no idea what that's all about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know why one would, why the coaching staff would change swap his position when there's, like, three defensive ends on this whole team. Um, and I'm going to assume that he hasn't been moved. Maybe they're just cross-training or they're just kind of seeing what's up. Um, I don't know if anyone asks... They about that today. Um, but I, I'm going to work under the assumption he's still playing defensive end. Uh, and then apparently Dejon Wilson's come on really strong, the, the Colorado transfer, um, which is important because we do need some experience there. And he uh, was kind of a limited playing. I mean, he was, a, he was a rotational player for the Buffaloes, but not like a, a huge starter. And then he had some injury issues. Um, hopefully he is overall of that. It sounds like he's healthy. And, System uh, so that changed too least...
1: over there, which certainly didn't help him.
2: That's true. I didn't even think about that. Um, but yeah, I mean definitely welcome his experience. Obviously he was a, a Pac twelve player, so it's not like he's, you know, coming up from from the FCS ranks and, and I'm not, you know, not subtweeting uh, <laughs> uh, Gabe uh, what's his name? Uh, I've already forgotten his name. I didn't even want you anyway. Oh Gabe Sherrod. Gabe Sherrod. I was I couldn't, couldn't figure out if it was Sherrod or Shepard. Um, we we do a lot of research on this podcast. Time. No, I I would have loved to have Gabe Sherrod. he was obviously a monster at FCS, but um, taking a player from Pac-12 school will, will suffice, I think.
1: Yeah, we've got two um, of them on our roster, actually. Him and uh, true. Taylor Hendy, who uh, used to play for University of Washington.
2: Very true. Um, I just you know, really hope those guys stay healthy, because there isn't a lot behind them.
1: Um, there's pretty much nothing behind them. Uh, That's not to knock the guys that are there. It's just that we have a lot of converted... A lot of freshmen. A lot of freshmen, a lot of converted linebackers. Um, I know that one of the bigger um, takeaways from camp has been, you know, how the defensive line is going to function a little bit differently. Instead of being, you know, right side and left side, it's going to be a lot of strong side, weak side. Um, That should allow for um, some very different looks. You could see, I mean, I think that right now, at least on paper, I think our three most talented linemen, are um, probably Stephen Clark, Chris Slayton, and Kate Samuels. Obviously, they all play defensive tackle. Um, so this strong side, weak side setup actually could allow all three of them to be on the field at the same time. You're seeing Slayton get burned at defensive end and those types of, you know, kind of jumbo packages. Um, and I know we discussed this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, so I won't go into it too much. But um, having these different looks sounds like, again, it's great to hear that, you know, Baber's system... Is, is very pliable, it's not rigid, it has the ability to adapt to its personnel, and you're seeing it on the defensive uh, side too with guys like that. But I also think that there's plenty of you know, speed that, that you can easily plug in um, if you wanted to get away from that big line. I think all of our uh, defensive ends that were recruited this past year are definitely on the not too slim but slimmer side, more of like your traditional kind of outside linebackers um, in maybe a 3-4 um, it doesn't mean that, they're built, that their skill set is based for that. It's just that that body type is probably more what you would see there. Um, yeah, I really like the upside of the few guys um, that we're, like, happy about there. Um, I just think, yeah, unfortunately, we're, we're a good year off and we really need more depth in this recruiting class, and we haven't really seen a ton of it yet for 2017, but maybe that changes. Um, nonetheless... Um, If the line can stay healthy, there's a chance for improvement. If not, um, they're going to really rely heavily on the rest of this defensive group.
2: Yeah, and and defensive lines is not an easy position to recruit, um, which is, especially internally, it's very tough to get defensive tackles that can kind of stand up and, and eat space. And if they provide any kind of pass rush, it's a bonus. Defensive ends, there's a lot of those, but, you know, they don't always fit your system. Sometimes you're, you know, kind of calling up players that especially this year for uh, for Syracuse guys who would probably be linebackers elsewhere um so it is tricky and and there have been a couple of recruiting classes in a row where you haven't brought in a lot of guys um this year there's a lot of true freshmen but you know asking them to tributes uh, not the easiest thing in the world so um definitely some nice players overall I mean I think we're all excited about what Stephen Clark brings he was very good as a freshman last year um Chris Slayton has obviously gotten really good reviews this offseason and and the aforementioned uh guys like Ruff and Picard, but, you know, that's only four. So you, you definitely want to have more than that across the <laughs> line, um, ideally. And that has been a struggle for a couple years now. Um, but hopefully we, you know, the recruiting class is still fairly young. So hopefully that is a focus going forward.
1: I would agree. Um, moving backwards now, uh, linebacker. You know, linebacker is going to be interesting, but also deep. And I think that's kind of like, it's very much just like the offensive line. Um, And that you have guys back You have a lot of depth Guys who saw snaps before um, You're probably looking at The three starters Paris Bennett um, Over at um, You know the weak side You're looking at Zaire Franklin probably in the middle And then the strong side You're probably looking at uh, Possibly Jonathan Thomas Um, There's a couple other guys Who could play in there Uh, Maybe a Tim Walton Who I've heard some murmurs about Um, But, yeah, Thomas is is one of the faster guys on this defense, which is where I'm sure he he appeals to Babers and his sensibilities. Um, And then I know Ted Taylor got some burn, along with Thomas, um, kind of playing in the nickel um, over in spring ball. Uh, I feel like Taylor seemed like he showed himself at least mildly capable in coverage, which is helpful. I'm very curious to see, though, most importantly, um, how Franklin transitions, um, especially given that, like, the fulcrum of this whole... Uh, Tampa two scheme is kind of on this middle linebacker spot, and I wouldn't necessarily say that that Franklin's calling card. While he is a great player, that is, I don't think his calling card is is you know in that coverage situation.
2: Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I, I out of anyone on this team, I trust Franklin to do it. He's a smart player. Um, he's been very uh, he's he's you know been a very good player for two years. Obviously, he had he's had some struggles in coverage in the past, which makes me a little concerned. But it, I mean, I have no doubt that he's kind of dedicated himself to this, um, and he's a you know leader on the team, so it's expected of him. Um, but overall, I think you can do far worse than having Zaire Franklin in the middle of your defense. Uh, and I, I also really like a lot of these guys on the outside. Um, you brought up Tim Walton, uh, Paris Bennett's obviously been a, a nice player for us for a couple of years. Um, Jonathan Thomas is a guy who I've really lo- I mean, when he signed, like he's a physical monster, and he's you know crazy speed he just has all the tools I'm almost surprised he hasn't put it together up until this point but it seems like he is starting to to get to that point and seeing him contribute will be very exciting um if he kind of lives up to that potential and then you have guys like Hodge who Hodge has played a lot um obviously he was a a essential figure in the Georgia Tech disaster of 2013 that we were uh, (laughs) probably shouldn't I mean it wasn't he had the best game of anyone on that defense um but uh yeah I mean that's Ugh, That's what happened when you
1: changed to a three four with a week. For one week. <laughs> <laughs> for one week. After playing a four three for better part of a decade.
2: Yeah, that was a thing that happened. Syracuse football. Yeah. Um and then you have, I mean you have a lot of other guys who who could be contributors. Ty Cullen, uh Lake Thomas, physical freak, um you know, really could could be a nice playmaker for this defense. Uh we haven't seen a ton from him yet, but he could come along. He's only a freshman, so it's not a a huge concern if he doesn't have a huge role yet. Um, But, yeah. I I, I want to
1: see Troy Henderson, too. I know, like, obviously we focused in on Franklin. I think Henderson, I think it speaks to where they see Hodges' strength to see him switched off the middle linebacker spot um, and and really kind of stress more to the outside. And I think it it speaks to Henderson's skill set that he's going to stick around there because I really do like – I know he was one of the – I feel like he was one of the probably three or four guys on that defense um, from the recruiting class a couple years ago that we were really focused in on. Um, And yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens to him, but um, Henderson definitely has a lot of upside. And I think, you know, again, just reflecting on what we thought of him, you know, when he first arrived, it seemed like it'd be great to have somebody reliable behind Franklin um, to play that that key middle linebacker spot.
2: Yeah, and uh, I think we have kind of uh, opposite issues from the defensive line here. Um, I think we've we've listed off like nine or ten guys who I I would feel, if not totally comfortable, I'd be interested to see play uh, a big role this year. The question is, you know, I think the linebackers might have the biggest adjustment from the, you know, Schaefer's super aggressive blitzing 4 3 to this Tampa 2, uh, where the linebacker spot, we were usually playing with smaller guys, guys who could come off the edge fast and get after the quarterback. Now it, things are a bit more reserved, and you, you want uh, slightly bigger players, ideally. And there aren't a ton of them here. No. Um, and it's obviously not their fault. They were recruited for a completely different system. But uh, that could be something that takes a couple of years to fully adjust to. But I think overall if you have talented guys they can make it work and I I think that this is the spot on the defense where I feel the best about that. So, um, and, and obviously Franklin's a very proven player and he's kind of leading the way. So um, I'm very intrigued by this group. Um, it almost mirrors to me the, the wide receiver group uh, across the way uh, where you know, guys are doing stuff that's totally different from the last one but you have enough bodies and enough uh, interesting athletes that you hope that they can kind of piece it together. So uh, I'm less worried about the linebackers than the other two spots in this defense for sure.
1: I I would agree. It's also hard to be more worried about and than <laughs> you, you could be about the DBs and D-line. Um, that's not to knock any of the players. It's just to talk about the history that we've seen. Um, and obviously that speaks now to the, the last position on the defense, uh, the secondary, the fact that we have a ton of returning talent, um, a lot of great freshmen who seem like they could be poised to contribute right away as this team probably play some nickel um is going to be uh you know rotating in a ton of different guys um throughout the year i know we were already dealing with what three or four different injuries um the defensive backs it seems like devin clark is in a sling he's probably gonna redshirt at this point um i know scoop bradshaw's been taking some snap white receivers rodney williams was out evan foster was out um williams being out concerns me because he's one of our more experienced safeties, uh, so that doesn't necessarily say great things to me. Um, at the same time, I, I do feel like we have—I I feel like we have depth. Just whether the depth can adjust, um, you know, when you have a guy like a very talented, you know, kid like Cordy, you know, racking up pretty high numbers, uh, and, and Dallas too racking up high numbers for sacks, tackles for loss. Um, <laughs> those types of things can get a little concerning uh, because it goes to show just how much they need to transition. That said, um, you know, the two players I mentioned in particular uh, that have a ton of upside in my eyes, uh, Dallas and Cordy, uh, both of them seem to, uh, seem to have taken very well at least the things in practice and that's a good sign. But, um, looking at the safety spot um, first, I guess, um, Cordy is, is a bona fide starter. I think Sism is, is, a great option for us to be able to rotate in there um, whenever we need. Um, if it's not Williams um, over at the strong safety spot, it's probably going to be Keelan Whitner. Um, I, I, I'm willing to put some of his missteps from last year just out the pasture along with everybody else's missteps, but I'm definitely not as confident at the strong safety spot as I am at free safety.
2: Yeah, I think the one thing I'd say about Whitner is that his mistakes were kind of born of him being aggressive and trying to make big plays. Um, and while that's not necessarily the, the move, I, I am more quick to uh, appreciate that and, and forgive it than like someone just being out of place and someone uh, not going for the ball or not, you know, not making an aggressive uh, play. Like someone just getting beat is is one thing. Whitner was, was often trying to do something special and, just whiffed on it or he just was uh, found himself caught. As everyone um, was in that
1: defense.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was pretty much the entire difference of Batfield last year. Uh, he just kind of, had, he just, for whatever reason, was often that guy in, like, big moments. Um, but he was also a true freshman playing, so I, I'm not obviously going to give up on Keelan Wintner at all. I think he's a, he's a talent. He's physically one of the more impressive guys in this defense. Um, but I also, I, I go along with what you said, uh, I am... Very confident, in Cordy. I think he's one of the best guys in this entire defensive backfield. We also have like, guys like Wayne Morgan, who's you know I know he was a four-star recruit and people thought you know he was going to be the superstar, and I don't know that he's quite hit that, but he's been a very solid contributor for a long time, and he got an extra year, uh, so I think he could be a very useful player at corner. Um, Hudson and Winfield have had moments. Uh, I think there's a lot of guys. There's 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 the numbers aren't an issue. It's just a matter of getting. The best play out of the guys that are on this team. Um, defensive line, the numbers are a big issue here. I think there are a number of guys who should be able to play. It's just a matter of getting them to, you know, in the right positions and and to, to make plays in that backfield where it's been a real struggle the last couple of years. And, and who knows if there's improved coaching or not or or what? But um, it really like like we uh, we've said about this for like weeks now. It's almost like a running joke at this point. It really can't get much worse. Right. Um, and that's. Interesting because it's not like it's. I don't think it's a talent issue. I think there are there are talented players here. It's just things haven't clicked the last couple of years. Um, hopefully this year with the new staff. Uh, staff they do.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and that's where this isn't like hammer. You know, the defensive backs. I know, like I can see be seen as someone that does that, I, and I know I'm I'm pretty uh, fast and loose with posting the, uh, the Florida State gift from last year. <laughs> Whenever someone brings up the secondary, uh, but for me there's this this is going to be a very much a sink or swim season for them because you know last couple of years I felt like things were not great in a system they were all recruited for um, and now I mean obviously you get to get rid of Fred Reed, which is good. Um, I was campaigning for for that to, to to not be a thing anymore for a long time last year um, i I think if Nick Monroe can uh can coach up the secondary as well as he can recruit. Uh, then I really like uh, what we have on our hands here. I mean, like you said, there's the numbers are here, the depths there, the experience is there too, to be honest. It's just, you have to ask the question of whether or not you want that experience back given how bad things were last year. Um, I think you do um, experience in the secondary actually matters more um, per Bill Connolly than most positions, um, especially on, on defense. Um, and I think in general, you know, a guy like Winfield who definitely showed glimmers of being able to cover really well guys like Hudson. I mean, that was one of the the big saving graces for me of of some of the injuries last year and guys like Wiggum. I mean, you didn't want them getting hurt, but when they did that, these younger guys got to step in. I feel like it helps us out this year um, because they had that in game experience, even if they still need some time uh, to transition to the new system. I mean, it really is going to just depend on whether or not they can, they can cover if they can. um, I think It helps. You know, block out maybe some of the um, some of the issues the defensive line has. If the defensive line is able to push better than we think they can, maybe it helps out the defensive backs that they're not up to snuff yet. Um, it's going to be an interesting equilibrium between those two. Um, and obviously, you know, the line. That's not to leave out the linebackers, but just to say that if we had to bet on one of these three groups, um, we would probably bank on the linebackers more than anybody.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's definitely right.
1: And that's it for offense and defense. A quick look at special teams before we get to the schedule. Um, over at kicker, you have Cole Murphy. Um, I think Murphy's actually been one of the more consistent kickers in the ACC the last couple of years. Um, he can get some distance on it. Um, it I, what I really like about Murphy is that he doesn't get shaken uh, from a mistake at all. He's made he's made a couple like bigger misses um, in recent years, but he's also had some big makes. I think that you know he doesn't allow misses to get into his head uh, that's, that's a huge huge plus um, for college, any college kicker in my mind um, I think over at punter you know, Sterling Hoffrichter uh, was one of the better kickers or punters coming out of college the year that we uh, recruited him I, I think that he's somebody who has a long and bright future and, and as predicted on this very show last year Dan and I said that Hoffrichter would be a red shirt and he was so we'll take credit there um, long snapper you know, Matt Keller, you don't really have to say much about that. Um, and then kick and punt returns. I think Grizzly is going to have a little bit more of a target on his back this year. Uh, I think they might have to try to rotate somebody else in there potentially, um, depending on how involved he ends up in the passing game. But uh, I, I think that you can at least bank on um, the return game to a point um, and, and place kicking while maybe punting takes a year. Uh, to reset itself after Riley Dixon left.
2: Yeah, I, I actually feel really good about the special teams. Um, uh, Murphy was, was quite good last year. You know, he's not perfect. He's not college Robert Eduardo, Roberto O'Brien. Hopefully he's not NFL Roberto O'Brien. <laughs> um, maybe somewhere in between will be fine. Um, losing Riley Dixon, who, for all of like our coitus about it, like legitimately was one of the best punters in college football last year. All jokes about, uh, like, even if you take out all the trick plays, was he was awesome. He was so good. Um, there's a reason he got drafted. There's a reason he's maybe going to start for the Broncos this year. Um, but Hartford, like you said, was, a, as far as punters go, a big recruit, probably one of the tops in the country, um, and we have four years of him, so hopefully he lives up to that billing, and you know, it doesn't need to be Riley Ditson, but um, even a nice Rob Long I would take for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's probably gonna have a bigger leg than Ditson. I just don't know if he's gonna be able to cough and corner it as well because like Ditson just was so accurate with his punts, it was crazy. Um I also don't expect him to score like three touchdowns this year. But yeah, you know, if if he wants to, Sterling, go yeah, for why it. Why not? So, um I would love to see Brisley return as many punts as possible. He was dynamite last year. Obviously he basically won us a Texas bowl a couple years ago. Um On kicks like maybe somebody else. No, yeah, on kicks it's fine. I want him to see ba- I definitely want to see him back there for punts. Um, but like you said, it really depends on what he's doing on offense. You don't want to burn him out. And we've, we've seen him kind of get uh, winded a couple times um, because you can only run around so much uh, at that speed. Um, I also don't think we're going to see Dante Strickland uh, return kicks because I think his role in the offense is going to be too important. But there are athletes on this team. Um, it is nice that like we are coming off a year where the special teams were a bright spot uh, and it far improved. So hopefully that doesn't uh, fall back. But it, it seems like the... Um, after years of just ignoring them or just underserving them, uh, steps are taken in the right direction under Schaefer last year, and and it seems like this staff is probably a little more uh, coherent in terms of what they want to do with special teams. So, um, I feel pretty good about this part.
1: Well, having a concerted like special teams coach is, is always a plus. Um, Tom yeah, Hoffman being there and being our first staffer in special teams in at least I think, six or seven years
2: since Casulo. Ah, yes. Bob Pesullo!
1: Who has been confused for me several times and on message boards, and I get cursed out. And vice I mean, you do,
2: you do look alike.
1: Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> me and Big Game Bob. Um, anyway, it's just a nickname I decided to give him. It's fine. Moving on to the final part of our preview. We're actually running at a decent clip today. I'm surprised. Um, that's what happens when you actually talk about Syracuse. You just kind of move along. <laughs> Uh, We have the schedule and starts with Colgate. Now, Dan, I don't think there's any doubt from Syracuse fans that we should win this game, but how close do you think this one gets given the fact that Colgate is a top 25 team down the FCS, and the last time we faced a top 25 team from FCS, things didn't go too well.
2: Alright, I think just based on breaking in an entire new system on both sides of the ball, and the fact that Colgate's pretty good, and the fact that you know, it seems like we're we kind of vacillate between like being okay against FCS and like coming way too close. I don't think it's going to be like the the Rhode Island game, but I think it'll probably be a little closer than we like. Maybe like a fourteen to seventeen point game that feels kind of close into the third quarter. Um, you just going to expect like this offense to to go click full bore right away, even against a team like Colgate. Um, but I I'd also don't expect it to come down to like a fake field goal and double overtime. So. Um, hopefully we stay we stave off the demons that have been knocking at our door for a couple of years now of losing to an FCS, uh, which we have not done in our program's history. Yeah. Uh, so let's not do that this year.
1: I would agree. I especially wouldn't want to lose to Colgate. Um, I think we put up a lot of points here, but I also think we might give up a lot. Um, but that's fine. You know, I I don't think we're going to be running the full offense here. I think Babers is well aware of you know the, the goal against the FCS team is. Get out with the win and move on you paid for it you might as well do it however you can and then you know feature the real offense and the real defense the next week Louisville is another Friday night game the Cardinals are almost definitely going to be ranked coming in Uh, this is going to be an interesting test because if it was later I'd say it's more of a trap for Louisville early I just don't know if um, Syracuse is going to be fully operational um, in the Bay Area system I'm giving this one to Louisville um, but that said I think it's going to actually be a pretty close game going into the fourth quarter
2: yeah I mean I wouldn't feel great about this if I was a Louisville fan just because it's very there's a lot of unknown here and you're coming to the Dome it's going to be a, a Friday night which has been tricky a tricky spot for teams at the Dome in past years um, assuming the team beats Colgate I think there will be some solid excitement for this one Uh, Louisville definitely has the upper hand in terms of talent. Um, They're a very good team. I'm a little uh, hesitant on crowning Lamar Jackson a sleeper Heisman contender. Um, I just think that there's a history of quarterbacks going nuts and bowls and then not being that guy the following year, uh, though obviously he has talent. Um, So, I I mean, Louisville is a bona fide favorite here. Um, They should win the game comfortably on paper, I just wouldn't be surprised if it was like, like you said, a, t- a ten-point game. But I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to go crazy and pit Syracuse in this one. Um, I think it'll be a fun one, and I will give Louisville a fairly close victory.
1: Yeah, I, I can buy into that. I, I think that it's again yeah, the Louisville defense. I think is the real factor here. I think um, Lamar Jackson, as long as he can stay healthy, is going to power this offense. I think. Where Syracuse slips up this year is when teams have a great defense and offense. Um, I think when it comes to teams with moderate offenses and a good defense, the offense could still struggle to keep up. Um, Louisville is a team that should be actually pretty balanced and well versed on both sides. Could be top forty-ish on both sides of the ball, and maybe even better than that. Um, and that could prevent some present some problems right off the bat. Brings us to the next. Potentially challenging opponent. uh, USF, who, I don't know, maybe they could be ranked going in. It's feasible, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, USF might be really good. Um, Might. Yeah, we kind of turned their season around last year. uh, And maybe, maybe, you know, I mean, obviously, I I don't think that that one game decided whether or not USF became what they became. But, like, Willie Taggart was very much on the hot seat, and he is very much not on the hot seat now. Um, He's more... I think there's a better chance he gets a a better job this year, this offseason. But they really turned it around, and it really started with the Syracuse team last year. Uh, And then they started running all over people, and were one of the better teams in a very good AAC down the stretch. Um, This is a tough one. Uh, It's in the dome. Um, They beat uh, they beat the crap out of us last year. Uh, They could be better this year. Um, Everybody's back. Yeah, everyone's back. Uh, There could be some regression to the mean because they played so well down the stretch, but. I don't love. I don't love this team for Syracuse. I really don't. Um, I think it's kind of a coin flip. I'm just. I'm leaning on the side of caution this whole season, just because I really don't know what the adjustment to these new schemes are going to be. Uh, and Babers has kept on telling us to to be cautious and to give it 18 months. Um, I'm taking USF. Uh, I think it'll be close. Uh, hopefully, more competitive than last year. And obviously, the dome gives us a little bit of an advantage. But I'm taking USF uh, in a narrow, like three to five point victory.
1: I think that sounds fair. Uh, I think Quentin Flowers and Marlon Mack are terrifying. I don't think the def- the defensive line is ready to to stop the run game. I don't think um, the secondary is ready to stop their passing game. Um, I'd love to pick Syracuse, and I really want to, to be honest, but I'm not going to be able to. It's it's painful. Uh, I just. Yeah, we're going to have to chalk this one up as a loss for now. Um, that said, maybe I revisit. Who knows? Um, the next week, we head to pause Arf, a.k.a. Pause Arf! A.k.a. Rensselaer Field over in East Hartford, Connecticut. Um, Connecticut made a bowl last year. Uh, Bob Diaco is apparently turning things around, but their recruiting is still absolutely horrific, which makes me think that maybe he's not turning it around as much as we think. Um, I think UConn's a better team than they were when he arrived, though, and that's a good thing. Uh, I just don't think UConn has the offense, even if the defense can slow them down. I just don't think they have the offense to keep up with the points Syracuse should be able to put on the board. It's a close win in Syracuse's favor in my eyes, but um, again, this one definitely gets dicey down. The stretches you'll probably see. It becomes a theme um, through the middle half of this season.
2: Yeah, I think Syracuse should win. I think there's, there's a, a pretty big talent gap um, Probably not as big as the one we saw last time these two teams played, where Syracuse just ran Coach P's team behind the the woodshed. Um, that fun. Yeah, that was that was one of my favorite Syracuse random blowouts. Um, but I, I I don't know that UConn is going to be as good as it was last year. Um, I know that the rent is a very tough place to play as a road team um, with those dozens of fans there in that concrete bowl. Um, I'm going to give Syracuse the win. I just think that that they should kind of have an idea of what they're doing by this point in the season. Um, they should have more talent than UConn. Uh, I don't expect UConn to be the team that beat Houston last year, um, which is a thing that happened and still doesn't make any sense. Uh, but uh, this is definitely not like a gimme at any by any stretch. Like UConn to definitely win this game, and I really, really hope they don't because I will never hear the end of it.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I think. Again, both of us won't see a win here, but I think any fans chalking this one up as an automatic win are, uh, are definitely putting the cart before the horse. Um, again, we'll see how banged up UConn could potentially be by this point in the season. Um, again, early, but you never know. Um, what? Who does UConn even face in non-conference this year? Anybody of interest? Probably not. Uh, I have oh. no idea. Let me look. Oh, they face Maine. Cool. Oh, no, but they do face—they go to Navy— uh, Navy's not a fun team to play. Um, that is in
2: conference though, because the American. Yeah, they
1: face Virginia before us, so maybe they get banged up a little bit.
2: Plus, what? it's kind of a, a look ahead to Houston. Houston's the uh, five days later.
1: Ooh, yeah. So they're gonna be a- smoked by Houston.
2: Yeah, Houston's gonna be out for blood. Yeah. So, and
1: I would love if this was the other way around. Like, I would love us five days after Houston.
2: Yeah. I mean, it depends on if you like the letdown of look ahead um I just feel like, the I, I just solid with, verbal.
1: I just feel like with five days and, and a very kind of physical, fast team that could run you off the field, like Houston. I'd love to face a team that just stays them.
2: That's fair. I think. I, I think I agree with you.
1: Yeah. Plus, like, if if you you figure in in a two week, well, three week stretch, you would face Navy and Houston. I feel like that's a team you want. You want piece of.
2: Yeah. This stretch for them is really tough. I mean, they have us, which, you know, I, I don't think we're, like, super tough, but it's still a challenging game for UConn. And then at Houston, Cincy, at USF. Like, that's a brutal stretch for UConn.
1: Your season could be over by
2: mid-October. Especially yet, just like, who knows what Navy's going to be without uh, Keenan Reynolds. But um, playing that team is never easy unless you're, like, super, like, aware of what they do. Virginia, who knows. But then, like, that four games, is they could go on four... For sure. I don't think they'll win more than one of those. UCF is probably going to be pretty bad. But then, you know, the AAC overall is still pretty tough. And they do have BC at the end of the year uh, in the nice renewal of the, uh, hey, remember when we blocked you from getting into the a- ACC uh, rivalry?
1: Yeah.
2: Also the, hey, remember when you sued us and uh, ruined your entire athletic department's uh, future? I do recall. What a good lawsuit. <laughs> the best lawsuit, <laughs> some might argue. Just, yeah. Yeah. There's no way for lawsuits to ever come back and bite it bite someone. No. Oh, wait.
1: <laughs> and as always, once we start mentioning other teams, we start going off the rails. Um,
2: they fight two lane, two two lane, two lane, two lane. Shh.
1: <laughs> so we go into October 1st, Notre Dame. I don't think we need to talk much about this one because I feel nope. like Notre Dame is a great defense. They have a very good offense, no matter who's playing quarterback. Um, Syracuse will not win this game. I'm sorry. Uh, it... Sounds like a fun concept. Maybe if Syracuse pulls a rabbit out of a hat and it's 4-0, we talk about it come October, but otherwise, no.
2: Yeah, I actually yesterday held my nose and picked Notre Dame to go undefeated and beat the two-seed in the playoffs, yeah. so uh, don't think that Syracuse is going to beat them. Ugh. I, I don't like it, but I I wish Notre Dame's team, I wish that roster just got imported to another school, because that team's like kind of a blast, and... Uh, they have the two quarterbacks, and I, I'm pretty sure Deshaun Kaiser's going to play um, because Zaire can probably play elsewhere. They just have a really fun team, and and like openly rooting for like just Notre Dame being fun is, is awful enough. Um, but I really do think that's going to be like... I, I'd be surprised if they lose more than one game this year, and that's a tough schedule, too, and I still feel that way.
1: Descend into lane. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like that team to have there.
2: Oh, man, Deshaun Kaiser playing for the Green Wave? I mean, who, who could... Who could imagine a better thing?
1: Wavy the Wave would lose his goddamn
2: mind on the top of that scoreboard. (laughs) I forgot that happened. (laughs) Oh, they love us too much. Tulane just gives the people what they want.
1: Yeah, they do, actually. (laughs) And and their fans actually know that that's what we want, so they just hand it right to us so that we can share it, and I'm fine to do so. Yep. Uh, At Wake, uh, this is never an exciting game, but it's always a win. Uh, I'll be there. You will be there. I will not. Uh, unlike last time, I was. Um, I feel like if people weren't already convinced that we were better than Wake, this is going to be the game. And I say that every year. Um, SU has more talent on the roster right now. Uh, they have more talent on offense. Uh, defense, Wake might be a little bit better, but I just Wake's defense isn't on par with some of the better defensive units um, on this schedule. I see Syracuse being able to win this one by a good 14-21 to 21, uh, without much issue. Uh, there's always something stupid that happens in these games every year, but I, I see a fifth straight victory over the Demon Deacons for, for the Orange.
2: Yeah, I think we outlined a couple of weeks ago like, why... We, we actually, I think, worked through our, our, our misunderstanding of why Wake Force is getting like some small amount of hype this year um, and realized it, but like you said, like, I just can't pick them to beat us until they do it because it's been four games in a row... Three as ACC rivals, and like the first one was kind of close, and then Grove got let go, and now it's not hasn't been really all that close the last couple times, with pretty bad Syracuse teams. So, yeah, I just think there's there still should be a pretty big talent gap. I think Wake might have a little more experience, but is an experience like winning, which is uh, kind of an important thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to take Syracuse. I'm going to take Syracuse. Uh, it probably won't be a blowout, but I, I still feel like it'll be a uh, 2 store win. Um, yeah.
1: All right. The next week is, uh, is kind of where this season rises and falls, I feel, in a lot of people's minds. Um, you're playing at home. Justin Fuente also brings in kind of an up offense to a team that wasn't necessarily built for it. Um, I think they have one of the better receivers in the conference, and Isaiah Ford. Uh, the quarterback situation probably has some things in flux but yeah overall Virginia Tech still is a really great defense and I think that they can beat us I don't think it's going to be by much uh, but I think that um, you know obviously based on how fast the, the offense comes along and everything else um, this could be a team that uh, that could kind of be a speed bump for Syracuse and, and, and be maybe the loss that when we look back we say "Damn, like that one got away and it's probably why we didn't go bowling um, if SU ends up at around five
2: and seven, yeah, maybe like that Duke game a couple years ago. Yeah, um, yeah not great. Uh, yeah, I just think Virginia Tech isn't have too much talent. Um, Fuentes a good coach. Obviously, they have their own adjustments to make, but they're probably. I, I feel they're probably smaller, especially on the defensive side, because they retain Bud Foster, which was a, a total two for them. Oh yeah. Um. So even if even if Vachat doesn't know what it's doing on offense. Uh, I think that their defense is just going to be salty enough to uh, hang in there and sweep one out. Um, this team is at the Dome. I don't think that Vatek will blow Syracuse out, but I struggle to find a, a universe in which Syracuse uh, definitely wins this one. I'm actually shocked. I'm looking at Connolly. He actually has it as like a, a 50%, like a, a total coin flip. Um, well, his,
1: his numbers are pretty high on us.
2: Yeah, he he really likes us. Uh, his numbers like us. He likes us a decent amount. He likes us less than his numbers do. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he has like as a point one point margin in favor of Virginia Tech. Um. I think it'll be like a seven to ten point game.
1: Yeah, and I, yeah, I think you know, and Bill even admits this himself. The the only issue with the numbers, is if they're looking everything on its face, you know, They can dig as far as they can dig, and and I think in the case here. Um, and why it's so high on Syracuse is because you know you look at production on both sides and there's a lot returning, um, and that and that's where I think we get a huge boost. I think the fact that he still saw us as a tier ahead of, you know, the likes of Duke and Wake and and BC um, and Virginia are all big positives for us. But yeah, I, I don't think I don't think we're on the same plane with Virginia Tech just yet, given that Tech's been able to recruit better talent than we have for many years
2: on end at this point. Yeah, I think that's probably right, and that's probably the difference here.
1: Agreed. Moving on to at Boston College. uh, I hate that this game is not the last week. I understand why, though, and it'll be back next year. Uh, We've both been on record as BC not being everything they cracked up to be. Um, The defense is going to be not as good as last year. The offense is probably still going to be pretty bad, um, even if it is improved. Um, I don't see Boston College being able, especially in October, maybe November, I'd, I'd entertain it. I don't see Boston College being able to keep up with Syracuse's offense, even if the defense plays well.
2: Yeah, I mean, we went over this to um, BC, kind of the same as Wake. Like, they have these kind of strange projections where they, uh, where you kind of get it if, if everything goes well and they could be a bowl team. But that yeah. offense was so putrid last year. Uh, and, and, a, and a pretty bad Syracuse team handled BC. Um, I think this Syracuse team, even with growing pains, will be better than last year's by a decent amount. Um, and I don't know that BC is going to take the same step forward. So uh, yeah, I like I like Syracuse to win this one as well.
1: So what does that have us at going into the bye?
2: Four and four. All right. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> after the bye, uh,
1: <laughs> at Clemson. Nope. Next. Nope. <laughs> Hard nope. I know. I know.
2: We've kept it close two years in a row. Nope, Doesn't not going to happen. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we don't have injured players that booed. That sucked. Uh, next.
1: <laughs> uh, NC State. Uh, you and I are not high on the Wolf Pack. No one ever nope. really is, but we're especially low on them. I feel like especially on my end, I have them going 5-7 and seven this year.
2: Yeah, I had something similar. I just think they're, like, profoundly uninteresting. They
0: are. And
2: it's, it's hard for me. I mean... Maybe they go sits and sits to they're NC State. Um, the I'm going to take their. It does... Well, it sucks every year.
1: <laughs> well, then, no, but like, it's tough now. Like, it's oh, it's just...
2: Like, oh. like It's a
1: difficult schedule this year.
2: Yeah, they, they, they... I mean, good for them for actually going for it eventually after well, the ACC some forced hol- them hilarious ones. The ACC forced them to.
1: Because <laughs> they put Notre Dame on the schedule.
2: Oh, uh, that's what happened. That, that old Notre Dame agreement. Here's,
1: um, here's the problem.
2: Oh, and yeah. NECU, which is just never... Never you never done. know what's gonna happen when you play ECU. It's just a total, a for, total for, minefield. For
1: NC State, you know, it's gonna be a loss lately. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, ECU has a new coach because they—I don't know why they fired Robert McNeil. I will never know why they up. fired. Yeah, seriously. Um, yeah, this this is t- oh man. Notre Dame Clemson, at Louisville in a row. Trash. Oh, oh, and then BC, which is not a, not like a, a pencil-in win. Um, I mean, if they should win at home, then Florida State. So, yeah, maybe maybe just after that that gauntlet. And even BC, like, they might not beat you, but they'll beat you up a little bit. But, look, um, but
1: then after the series And game, then they have yeah.
2: Miami and UNC after us. Holy shit. You're, you're, like, you're, lose,
1: you're losing six or seven games. Anyone who tells themselves that this this NC State team, which still can't develop a quarterback on its own roster, to is suddenly going to storm through a... Mo- like a bear of a schedule and Dave Doran, who's shown himself unable to beat teams that he shouldn't necessarily beat. Sorry, this is not an NC state preview show, but this is a damnation on NC state being predicted to make a ball. Cause they're
2: not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I'm going to take Syracuse to win. And a lot of it just because like this team could just be so disheartened after losing by 30 to Notre Dame Clemson in back-to-back weeks, and then probably losing to Louisville, and then who knows with BC, and then probably getting stopped by Florida State. Like, after a while, it's just tough to bounce back. We saw that in 2014 with Syracuse, um, and obviously all of G-Rob. Um, yeah, I, I'm take, every week, yeah. Not- and they're coming to the Dome, and again, they're uh, as uninteresting as a team can be. Syracuse, at that point, should, you know, have... I mean, they're, they're going to be playing better at year's end, assuming there aren't, like, a ridiculous blood of injuries, um... They'll know the offense better and everything. So Syracuse should improve during the year. NC State, I don't know they're going to improve playing those teams all in a row. Uh, I'm taking Syracuse for the mild upset um, to get to five wins, uh, and I think we'll all feel really good about, good about that game afterwards. And that'll be, I think that'll be the game. And NC State's not like a huge upset or anything, but like I think that'll be the game where everyone's like, okay, we see where the, we, we see the light here. Um, we feel really good about this. Obviously, we have two really tough games coming up, but the season was a nice step forward. And we are pretty, pretty all in on Babers right now.
1: Yeah, I think that's completely fair.
2: Um, so I'm all in on Babers now to begin with, but I think it'll take some people some time. And I'm sure after you know we get stopped by Clemson, they'll be like, "Oh, what's different?" Um, because people don't understand context. But uh, <laughs> and that that goes for the entire world, not just Syracuse athletics. But um, yeah, no, I, I'm going to take that as as win number five. All
1: right, uh, and then Florida State's a no. Nope. It doesn't matter who's <laughs> playing quarterback. It's a no.
2: It's going to be Francois. He'll be fine. I, I don't know if he'll be great. Jimbo seems excited about him, which is actually kind of scary because Jimbo knows quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they, they have so much talent everywhere else. Dalvin, they, Dalvin Cook is so good. And uh, somehow, like, super underrated just because there are so many good college football running backs. And Dalvin Cook is, like, just as good as those guys. Um, so, yeah, we're not going to be Florida State.
1: Yeah. So then that gets us to 5-6 and six, going into the Pit game. Um... I'm tired of telling myself we're going to beat Pitt. We come close a bunch of times. Sometimes not so much.
2: We did the one time. We yeah, beat them once.
1: We beat them once. We almost beat them last year, to be honest, if the defense had any ability to stop anybody.
2: Yep. Um, Chandler Jones almost returned that pitch for a touchdown. I do recall. I was at that game. Oh, not great. <laughs>
1: I just think Pitt's oh, too talented this year. Um, I'm oddly high on Pitt. I've got them around 8-4. and four. Um, That's not great to say. But, yeah, Pitt's been recruiting at a much better level. Um, I think, you know, Paul Christ got them in a great place, um, even in the short time he was there and elevated the recruiting a bit. And then Narduzzi's just been able to bring a different intensity. I think that defense is going to continue to improve while the offense. I think Peterman is not an amazing quarterback, but he's he's a the type of game manager that when you have that running game, um, Pitt will be fine. Uh, I think especially given, you know, the likely inclement weather that they're going to have shortly after Thanksgiving over in Pittsburgh. Uh, I don't see this offense really being able to respond well to that. I don't think they get blown out, but I don't, I don't see Syracuse getting the sixth win, unfortunately.
2: Yeah. uh, We're just on similar minds with all this stuff. But I think it's probably because we talk for an hour plus every week about all this, but uh, I like Pitt. I'm weird with Pitt this year. Um, I think I like, I like the idea of Pitt being good this year for whatever reason. Um, I think Nardizzi's defense, yeah, I mean, I don't mean like I, I want them to be. I just like, for some reason, the idea just, it seems like they should be like an 8-9 win team this year, and I know a lot of people are predicting them to be such. Peterman scares me a little bit. I, I don't, uh, in terms of hitting that prediction, I, I feel like he just might not quite be what they need. Um, the running game should be really good, especially if James Conner is able to be, even like sixty percent of what he what he is when healthy, um, and if he steps on the field at all, it's, it's amazing. Um, Allison's really good. Um, I think there's a chance Pitt lets down a little bit this season, but I, I agree. I think they're they're better than Syracuse at this point. They're a little bit ahead in the development curve. That's, um, why,
1: that's why Narduzzi is going to go coach Penn State next year. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right. James Franklin. I mean, doing anything more, likely
2: than, <laughs> more likely than more likely than him going to Vanderbilt, like we predicted uh, last week.
1: Yeah, I'd, uh, if I had to pick somewhere, I think I'm putting my money on uh, on Penn State right
2: now. That'd be a good hire for Penn State. That would be a good oh, hire. And, oh, oh my! I didn't even think about the implications. Oh, oh. Pitt fans would be. So, oh God. The rage. Pitt fans <laughs> would they would Pitt even exist? They
1: would. Would, would,
2: the, would the school just stop fielding football if they lost their coach to Penn State?
1: No, they'd hire Scott Schaefer.
2: Oh God, <laughs> he's so hard nosed. Such a hard nosed city. <laughs> Scott Schaefer just is—he 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 is, he is, he is, he is you know, hes from Ohio. He's nearby. He's—he's a—he he's a, just defines what it means to be a, a Pittsburgh person. If Pittsburgh
1: was a human being.
2: Plus, there's no way Scott Schaefer would just start saying yins all the time.
1: Oh god! All right, that 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 alternate dark timeline is another episode. I know we've already—that sounds
2: like a great. Hold on. <laughs> Are we calling the situation in which? Dino Babers gets to face Scott Schaefer on a yearly basis, a dark timeline. Oh, Cause no, that is that's a tremendous a, timeline.
1: Th- yeah. This is much better than the Edsel ball.
2: It's, it's something that, that there's like 5% of our fan base to go root for Pitt.
1: <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh God. Good. We should just, this uh, should just splinter off. And do it we should time probably time just edit that know. part out, but that's fine. <laughs> it's
1: fine. We're not awful people. I swear. <laughs> Anyway, um, so that was it. Five and seven, uh, but an encouraging five and seven. And we... Five and seven with like a
2: couple of legitimate swing games, like USF. Yeah. USF's a swing game for sure. Botek uh, is a swing game for sure. Pitt's a swing game. Like there's a path to six wins here. Um, I don't love them winning any of those games in year one of Babers, and you also have to like assume they beat everyone else. But like they they could definitely make a bowl this year. Um, I'm not going to bet on it, uh, but I, I think this will be. I, I, I draw a lot of parallels to that 9 first Maroon team. Like, they went 4-8, and eight, but the bowl, de- the, the bowl was right there. You knew how they could have done it, and you still felt, like, way happier about how, where the direction things were going in. And obviously, it's a very different team in terms of uh, scheme and everything, but I think, like, I, I expect at the end of the year, we'll feel pretty good about where Syracuse football is, uh, no matter what the record is.
1: I would agree. I think that's a good place to end it.
2: Yes, yeah, very uplifting.
1: Indeed. Uh, Dan, as always, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. Sometimes too much of one, but a pleasure nonetheless.
2: <laughs> yes, always. I'm very excited <laughs> to get into uh, regular season podcasts where we still don't talk about Syracuse as much as we probably should.
1: Exactly. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, that was Dan. I'm John. Thanks for listening to Troy Noon's An Absolute Podcast. Um, yeah, we'll uh, talk to you next week about Colgate.
0: At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.